Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Welcome to the future of marketing in esports. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa, and with me today I have Jake Troba, who is kind of an anomaly within the esports ecosystem. He's currently working with V1 and Rocker in a multitude of capacities, has a really extensive past career, notably in finance, which really lends to some expertise within our organization. Jake, welcome so much to uh, my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm looking forward to digging into everything that you have planned. You are really informing the direction in many ways of this really robust org. So owned by the Wilf family and Gary Vaynerchuk collectively, right now in three titles, Valorant, Rocket League, Call of Duty, building out a streamer strategy. And you're kind of you're kind of the guy who is literally leading growth strategy boots on the ground. I don't even know exactly what your title is, but from my seat, you are like a growth strategist and uh, general manager, perhaps. What's your actual title? Director of eSports Strategy, but it okay. um, it encompasses everything that you mentioned and probably more. more. So it, yes. it depends on the day. My job very much depends on the day. Probably one of the most respected staff members, I think, that we have from top to bottom based on the extensive experience that you have in the industry. Can you talk about your path to esports, kind of your, you know, pivot out and then back, back in again? I, I just really would love to hear your your story overall. Sure. One, I'd like to say I appreciate that you've done your homework. It seems like you know a decent amount, so kudos. Two, yeah, untraditional path. So interesting you brought it up. It's. I started competing at a competitive level when I was 16 years old. If you rewind a little further, I became very interested in video games, probably when I was 13, 14, casually played, realized I was really good, had an itch to add competition into that sort of casual gaming lifestyle, found a website called Game Battles, competed in search and destroy tournaments from my house, and then wanted to take it one step further, wanted to travel. When I was 16, I convinced my mom to allow me to go to MLG Dallas. And I guess 2012, I convinced her by showing her a JCAP documentary saying, mom, this is JCAP. He will be on my flight. He's offered to fly with me. Please let me go with him. And she finally said, yes, I placed top 16 at my first event, which at the time was considered pretty good. I was then considered like, I guess, a professional or semi-pro. I floated. I was always around that bubble between low tier professional team and top amateur team. And I bounced in and out. 
when I was 18, it was my freshman year of college. I had finally, I was old enough to go to champs. I qualified for champs. I attended. It was basically the last thing on my gaming bucket list that I wanted to cross off. And I decided that I should step down and stop competing. There wasn't nearly as much money in Call of Duty then as there is now. And mm-hmm. I had these dreams and aspirations of working in finance and moving to New York City, which for better or for worse, I ultimately followed. So when I was 18, I stopped competing, focused on school, was able to sort of regain that social aspect of college you miss when you're practicing for 10, 12 hours a day as, as we did back then and graduated with degrees in finance and economics. After college, I was in New York City doing investment banking for I guess like a year and a half after working in New York, or I guess after a year and a half of working in New York, the Call of Duty League franchised. And two of my old teammates and one player that I used to play with quite a bit became the Minnesota Rockers first you know, core group that were announced as their starting roster and head coach. They mm-hmm. basically recruited me and said, Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you came and helped run the data analytics for our team, building statistical models, assisting and coaching where I could. And that is how I made my way back into esports. So that was in, I guess, 2019 mm-hmm. when the Call of Duty League launched. I was assistant coach, lead analyst. After a year in the CDL, I was tapped on the shoulder and asked to help us expand organizationally, that's around the time you saw Wise Ventures Esports rebrand to version one. Version one announced a Rocket League team, a Valorant team, a multitude of streamers. And I think that brings you to where we are today. So quick, I guess, six-year recap. That's epic. I love that. And like, kudos to your mother, honestly. She's a saint. Yeah. To really, truly look at at you and and I mean kudos to you for pulling the data and the research and like putting it to her in a way that she can understand but for her to be a parent that like sees you and hears you mm-hmm. and is willing to take bold and big risks in your future cuz my son is almost 15 and he is more th- more of a skateboarder than he is a gamer but he does both gaming is the way that he builds community and connects with friends skateboarding yep. is like a big passion and he's kind of a motorhead too so cars are a big passion and sometimes he like comes at me with the craziest thing and I'm like Rant. but then he comes to me with data and I'm like okay right. I feel you. Like, I believe in this. Like, yeah, you can go do the thing or you can go to LA and do this skateboard competition yeah. I'll be here. Right. So I love that. And I love that about your mom, your pathway to esports has really, you know, been fluid. Tell me about how your financial acumen informs strategy within the organization and how are you? So there's like two questions, truly. One is like, from a growth strategy, you come from finance. So are there certain things you learned within that industry that are helping you inform an appropriate growth strategy? And then when it comes to, I mean, I came from the NBA and I've watched so many players just completely misuse the financial gain that they've had when they're viable. Like, how are you? Because you're so, you're one of the people that are connected the most to to the players. Are you bringing any of that expertise to your day-to-day and your strategy? So I think from an organizational standpoint, I'm able to sort of leverage my background in finance as it relates to modeling out team expenses, 
well, what positive value will spending X amount of money bring to our org, or at least you know back into what's expected there? It it helps gauge. You know, I think we're a player first organization, right? We want our players to feel at home. I think it's been uh, an unfortunate trend in esports that players often get taken advantage of. I think that's just because of the infancy stages that esports are in, right? So. Um, at the macro level, I think being able to be creative with compensation structures in a way that leaves us happy financially, while at the same time allows a player to feel like they're being compensated fairly and rewarded fairly is something that I'm proud of being able to do. Secondly, I think, again, because we feel like, or at least I see players being mistreated so frequently in esports, educating as it relates to financial literacy is massive. If a player is under Rocker version one and they live in the United States, a lot of our players are contracted and have benefits and have 401ks. And I'm actively advocating that these players max out <laughs> their retirement accounts that we are providing. There are oftentimes players will sit in TeamSpeaks or Discords and they'll be talking about ways to invest their money. And it makes me really happy I know you come from a sports background. I think you do see a lot of money blown in esports. They're you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids making hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's hard to not splurge a little bit. And that's okay. Do what makes you happy. Buy the cool shoes, like go on an incredible trip. But at the same time, be responsible and put money aside and being able to touch players at the micro level and help influence that has been really cool. And I think every like every organization should be doing their best to advocate for their players' financial literacy. Right. I once I, I once had a really great conversation with an NBA player that had played on the Timberwolves and he wasn't, he wasn't like one of the top players, but you know, he wasn't like one of the worst, right? He's like one of those players that plays for seven, eight, 10, 12 years in, in a league, but mm -hmm. is never going to amass the amount of money that like Kevin Garnett on the Timberwolves has. And he said something right. really interesting once he said, just because I can walk into a Louis Vuitton store with Kevin Garnett and buy any item, any one item that Kevin Garnett can afford doesn't mean that I should, doesn't mean like it's a wise investment, right? Because when I think about the longevity of my career versus Kevin Garnett's career, they're, they're incomparable. So just because you can, you can live a lifestyle in the moment when you're viable and you're making good money doesn't mean that it's going to last at the same rate as the exception, the exceptional players right at the top. So I think we're like in a really interesting place in esports where individuals like yourself can inform really sound advice to players before we get into these kind of destructive patterns that we've seen in traditional sports of trying to kind of keep up with the leaders, the top billable athletes with within the space. What are you seeing in terms of personal branding with individual players that you're working with? I I personally feel like the streamers holistically within our ecosystem, the streamers are a lot more intentional about building their personal brands than the the hyper competitive gamers what are you seeing in in that personal brand building aspects as, as it relates to players or creators or just the entire ecosystem players and creators like each individual mindset throughout that 
Yeah. I, I mean, it's so one, I think everyone in this esports ecosystem is very well aware that in order to have longevity, you need to build a brand, particularly if you're a player, because um, when you're done competing, what do you do after that? It's tricky, though, because some players are so hyper competitive that although they know it's important, they almost like they, I don't want to say lose sight of it because it's almost intentional. Like they just want to win. I think yeah. when you're looking at the total opposite end of the spectrum, you have content creators. And yes, they're very, they're very much so more deliberate in building their brand because their job is their brand. Their job is not the numbers they put up in game. Their job is their Twitch numbers, their YouTube numbers, their TikTok numbers. And in order to build those, they need to subsequently, or like they have to build their brand to subsequently build those numbers, right? So right. The, like their entire job is building that brand. I think you see crossing of worlds with the most skilled of players. You're looking at your attaches, your scumps, if we're going to talk about the CDL, your yeah. vanities, who are fortunate enough to be like top class esports competitors, but also understand how important it is to build a brand. You see them coming out with their own logos. You see them putting out their own merch. You see them going out of their way to upload to their YouTube series every day. And I think these players are the ones who find, who have found a way to balance competing at the highest level while also positioning themselves in a way that it will in a way that once they retire, they can easily jump right into full-time content creation and mm -hmm. not have to sort of start from the bottom and work their way up all over again. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's kind of like built, like bridging a gap in terms of brand building. And I, I mean, I can kind of sense that I, I've worked in pro sports since I was 19 years old. I've worked around the sports, the professional traditional sports ecosystem and you know, I always see like two kinds of players in the space, ones that are really focused on being an entertainer and focused on like, how do they entertain, which lends to selling tickets and what are like, who are the players who are just only singularly focused on being the best athlete. And, you know, there can be an argument for both sides, but I feel like the pattern that I see is the ones who are only focused on being the top competitor don't necessarily make to, to the degree in which the person who is also working on being kind of like an entertainer are able to capitalize on that long-term fandom. And I think the second thing is players that I've seen become really successful post-career are the ones who are really focused on creating relationships with brand partners and see the, the value in building some C-suite executive type relationships, especially in areas that they're passionate about. So when you are an entertainer and you're building your brand and you're talking about things you're excited about, many times a brand might be attracted to that and work either directly with you or with a team because you can be the face or the voice of that. And then it is an, kind of an, an easier transition or a pivot to be in that type of, of a space. We're so early in the market, but are you seeing certain certain trends or are you seeing relationships being built at that player level with brands specifically? Yeah, I think it happens every day. I think it happens intentionally. It happens unintentionally. Also, I mean, just to back up to your first point, I mean, you're, you're saying that you're seeing almost 
just to paraphrase, when you're looking at the highest performing athlete, typically most of them are dual faceted and care about their brands and are looking or care about their brand and are looking to build relationships with other brands to sort of build out their name, right? And I think that goes into not being one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's but in the sports. Top that's athletes in- can also afford it. Like the top athletes right. have a budget to have other yep. people helping them build their brand. So I don't, I don't want to say like bad on anybody who isn't engaging at that level because sometimes there's a barrier. Fair. That's fair. And I, I mean, to be honest with you, I think there is no excuse for esports athletes and professional players to not be building their brand. It's, it's okay to be one dimensional. It's okay to really want to win, but you should be interested in the longevity of, of you. Right. And mm-hmm. that almost always as an esports athlete means building your brand as it relates to what I'm seeing in the space right now. I think players are doing it without knowing. Right. I'm just today 100T announced that their first collaboration is going to be with Gucci. Every single pro player, I'd say Gucci monopolizes 70% of the CDL pros back pockets, meaning that almost every pro player that I've seen show up to an event has a Gucci wallet. Love. Yeah. Yeah. I probably, I mean, let me, yeah. Like 60% of our team, including our coach, Gucci wallet. So these mm-hmm. players are showing up to events when they get cool stuff. They're taking a picture of it. They're tweeting it. And they are ingraining in social media, in their fans' heads, in one another's heads that this brand is cool. This is what they're into. This is who they like doing business with. Yes. Uh, and this, uh, it it paints a picture and it it tells the fans that this is sort of what being an esports athlete is all about. And I okay. guess on one side, if we were to rewind, you'd hear us talking about spending too much money and how they shouldn't be doing this. But if you rewind or like fast forward to this conversation, right? Like they are they are painting the picture that being in esports and is is very like luxury. Mm-hmm. It's and cool. It's yeah. It comes down to folk. like this level of of clout that they've made it. And it's I a cool totally, kids club for sure. I remember when the when Minnesota's, you know, the Wolves 2K gaming team came and the very first thing they did was kind of like a little media circuity. It was all in one conference room and media was invited and I I came to that and they had like three players lined up and one of them had like um this is a thing. I mean, I'm 43, so forgive me for like not being super culturally cool. But one of the, one of the guys was like sitting and he had like a fanny pack, like a hip pack, but he was like wearing it across his chest. Kind of like, yeah, this. I was diagonally. like, oh. yeah. And it was either Gucci, Gucci or Louis Vuitton. And I remember being like, oh, this kid is just so excited to be flexing. He's like my brother buying cocktail shrimp after like he got his first <laughs> job. Cause we were so poor growing up. We never like ever had cocktail shrimp. So he like felt super cool to buy it. I, I love that because I mean, some of the conversations I have are with obviously brands, like that's my whole job, but I recently had a conversation with like an all American household name clothing brand. And I was trying to explain to them kind of like the tears within the esports ecosystem. And what you just said totally proved out what I was telling them about being a luxury brand in esports, you're really targeting talent. 
And then that mid tier is kind of like the lifestyle streetwear. So you can be an esports enthusiast, but you're wearing more elevated fit clothing out in the street. And then that bottom tier is like what you wear every day, consuming content or creating content just to be comfortable. So I think where a lot of large brands are getting it wrong is they're only focused on like the casual sweats. And it's okay. Like it's okay if you are a a big box store that that's your focus. And if you want to create a lifestyle brand around people who are consuming content, like my kid, but I would tell you my son at almost 15 will not leave the house wearing sweatpants and a hoodie. When he leaves the house, he's going to be either dressed like a total skater or be like wearing athleisure pants and like that windbreaker that, well, Alt has a really good. The shiny one. The clear kind of shiny white kind of your destiny one. And then he also now is like in love with the one that your team just put out that, that black, I think it's a V1 kind of windbreaker with the front pocket. He wears Mm -hmm. that. Like that's what he's going to wear out in the street. He can't afford Gucci. And if he, if he could, but I would never let him spend money on like, <laughs> Gucci at his age, but like, that's the aspirational, right? Like when you build brand recognition at a player level, it becomes aspirational to that esports enthusiast. So when my son is maybe 18 or 19, he might spend $680 on a pair of Gucci sneakers, right? He might do that. And I'd be okay with it. As long as I know that the other things are being taken care of in his financial life, you know? Yep. I get it. I love that. I I love that you're seeing kind of what we're marketing out into that ecosystem because that is extremely viable. Right. And it's okay. You don't have to do a collab with Gucci to hit your target audience, right? A lot of it is what you just described. What are they wearing? What do they like? What are Mm -hmm. they into? What is our, what is the, so the demographic that's watching our content, that's watching our players play, that's engaging with our tweets, what do they do? And if they're wearing joggers and loose fitted long sleeve t-shirts and a backwards hat, and that's how we think our average fan is dressing, Mm -hmm. we're naturally inclined to put things out that cater to that demo, right? Like that person that we see aspiring to buy those $680 pair of Gucci shoes, maybe they can get them now. Maybe they can't, but if but they they're could get like a, they could get a t-shirt now. Right. Exactly. It's like asp- it, but it is like, I think it's just about like being an aspirational brand and waiting for that moment in this space. It's about showing up authentically yep. and like not expecting something immediate. It's, it's like, building the rapport and the relationship for the moment in which we know that this audience will be a Gucci audience or have the ability to appreciate and take care of something that will last a a, a lifetime. Yeah. It's the do, uh, do everything right, regardless of whether or not anyone's watching. So that way on the off chance, everyone starts to watch. You have no worries about whether or not you're executing properly. And if you follow that motto, there will become a point in time where not just one person, but a whole bunch of people start catching on. And that's when brands start to grow. I love that. 
So from where you sit, I mean, you're kind of in this really interesting space where you understand the talent so innately, it feels natural to be able to extract some of that intel into building out strategic brand strategy and brand partnership strategy. Tell me a little bit about how you work with the in-house team, you know, the Jennas and the Dylans of the organization to really kind of paint a picture of what could be possible from a, from a brand partnership perspective based on the talent that we have. Yeah, I think so first and foremost, we have to go out and get the talent, right? And we want an eclectic group that can cater to many different needs. Then wouldn't, you know, I think we're getting to a spot where, where we have that a little bit. Obviously, we can expand in our stream recruitment and build on that more. But once we're speaking to the brand, it's less so what can we sell them and more so what do they need from us? And then we can take what they're looking for, what they want exposure to, what they're interested in, and you know, huddle up and say, okay, how can we help this brand out? I don't think, you know, there's no perfect mold, right? Every brand is different. Again, I I work with Jenna, Dylan, all of them, although I would say not incredibly frequently, but from the conversations that I've had with them, it's very much, okay, how can we add value to this brand? What is this brand looking to do? What market are they planning to hit? How can we help them do that? So every situation is very one-off, but I think what's important is that we have talent that can help in so many different areas that when they say, okay, we'd really like exposure to this, we can come back and say, oh my God, this person would be perfect for this. We can already think of an activation that they'd be really into and building sort of a cast of creators and influencers that have a diverse range of interests Mm -hmm. and have different personalities and, you know, are advocates for different philanthropic causes. There's very little that we can't touch on and that we can't help shine a light on. I think that makes the partnership aspect relatively easy, but then it's more so just coming up with creative and fun ways that make both sides happy. And I think that's a collaborative process. It's asking the, the you know, players, creators, hey, would you be interested in doing this? Asking the brands, do you think this is a cool idea? weighing in and leveraging our amazing staff who have great ideas and have awesome opinions. Like it's very much a team process, I would say. I love that. You know, I feel like the V1 organization is extremely purpose-driven. I think they've been very vocal and kind of leaning into social issues and purpose. Some of the things that I hear about within the organization are, you know, like building out the visionaries brand, really leaning into women, thinking about diversity and inclusion, building out some type of collegiate program, conversations around financial literacy. How how instrumental and are you in starting to have those conversations and and how do those types of of you know really purpose driven goals from an organization bleed into a strategy that you're building out? It's a good question. I will say most of the initiatives you've mentioned I unfortunately cannot take credit for. Those were my brilliant colleagues. I don't even, wouldn't even know where to begin when naming, you know, who quarterbacked most of the initiatives you gave, but I can touch on how it relates to the recruitment process and expansion process. I, it's incredible, right? As we're talking to different content creators, to different teams, to different players, like 
as you're able to listen to what players and what creators are interested in and what causes people are interested in giving back to, again, I keep sort of going back to that. It's allowed us to be collaborative and help them make an impact in the world that they wouldn't uh, like in ways they wouldn't have been able to otherwise, if that makes sense. For example, if someone is incredibly interested in empowering women in gaming, we can include them in our visionary series and help find ways to incorporate them into this tournament series that we've designated to hosting for women only tournaments. Right. And I think that's just one example of ways where we can help find what is important to our internal people and help amplify that. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's really special about this organization is they really care about the creator and the player. And as long as you know it's a good cause, they're willing to amplify and help commit resources to really amplifying a voice or amplifying one's ability to make a difference. And I think that is what separates us from a lot of the organizations out there. That's why I'm proud to be here. Yeah. I love it. I, 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 I completely agree with you on like, I, I talk a lot about just from a leadership perspective, the balance that we have just a gender balance as a whole is, is like unparalleled, I think, in not only this industry, but the sports industry as a whole with being, being so inclusive to different, different ideas and, thinking about what's happening in the moment and really being bold enough to capture that and kind of take a stand on what's best for humanity as a whole. And, and it's, I mean, I see some posts that we've put out as an organization where there's a lot of backlash on it and people have really held true in the organization around, well, this is, this is what we think is kind of, you know, best for humanity, which is pretty awesome to be, to be a part of long-term really thinking about overall growth strategy and trajectory for the organization. We're now at three, three teams underneath the umbrella, a number of really talented content creators, not just a traditional, you know, gamer streamer, but real true content creators that are very eclectic and diverse. How do you see this or continuing to grow without having to name, you know, titles or anything specific, like, is this something where it's just going to continue to evolve and grow and be more robust? Is there a stopping point of saying we only want to get this big? Where how is how is that kind of coming together? Like I'll never put a limit on our growth, right? I think our goal is to take over the world one day at a time. So in terms of when it will stop, I hope the answer to that question is never. I think esports in general is going is only going to continue to grow. I think it's our goal to grow quicker than the industry is, right? We want to stay ahead of that curve. We don't want to grow in size just because esports is. We want to be making a difference. We want to be one of the reasons that esports is moving forward and get moving higher and growing quicker. So I think in terms of goals, that's it, right? If it was a race, we want to grow quicker than the average esports industry grows. What will it take to get there? I think it's a lot of content creation. It's a lot of leveraging our amazing talent, our amazing teams. We have some really special people um, here that are great players, incredible personalities with interests that vary. I can't hit on that enough. No two players and no two creators are the same. 
and continuously finding new and innovative ways to tap into our talent, tap into our players, I think is is how we grow and how we scale because you know, we look for special people. We don't just sign anyone. We're very picky in our selection process, whether that be a new game to enter, whether that be a new player to fill a team in one of those games, or whether it's totally on the other side of the business and it's our, our content creation, our influencers, our streamers, we're selective, right? Yeah. And we look for we look for gaps and we try to fill them and just finding ways to tap into different personalities, the different interests, I think is what's going to be important for us as we, as we head forward. And then for like you specifically, like what are your personal goals within the esports ecosystem? What is, you know, what are your large aspirations? Where do you see yourself kind of growing in your career? Yeah, it's interesting. You ask selfishly, I'm a competitor. I think our ownership is incredible. We're so fortunate to have the ownership group we do and the Wilfs and Gary Vee. First and foremost, and again, this is a selfish goal. I want to bring them a championship. Like they're so supportive. They uh, they bend over backwards for us in ways that I can't even begin to go into detail with. And they deserve to have teams that win, right? So if I had my GM hat on, I would say first and foremost, let's get these guys trophies to hang on the wall. Yeah. We want to win here. So if that is the first goal that comes to mind, right? I think secondly, continue to promote diversity and inclusion the way we have been to date. I think growing there and being a forerunner in that side of the business is something that's like incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important to me. I'm super into like lower income areas and education inequality in those areas. I think being able to implement esports in low income areas and building programs in you know less fortunate neighborhoods or giving children who are less fortunate the opportunity to game and, and introduce them to streaming and esports is something that's really cool and something I've always been fascinated by. That's more of a life goal of mine. Yeah. It's not something uh, you know, like I hope I'm able to tap into that by way of version one, but just yeah. if you're asking me for my personal dreams and aspirations, that is most certainly one of them. I mean, I could go on and on. No, those are great. Those are great. And honestly, like Jake, like both of those tie back into what brands are looking for and brand values, right? When we can build out a strategy in which we are curating talent that will become a championship team, then brands are going to take notice because we're going to be more marketable, more viable. We're going to be hot and in the moment, right? And that will be attractive to brands, which then in turn allows us to continue to recruit the top talent because we're bringing in more brand dollars. On the DEI side, I have conversations with brands you know, over the years that you know, they're really looking for something that sets any type of engagement apart from anything else that they can do. So I love yeah. that you mention your diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of passion, you know, because there are probably things that we could build out, even in, in theory, aspirationally, before even taking action that we could pitch to a brand partner to talk about this is the state of the state. 
within this certain demographic. Maybe it's a lack of of high-speed internet within their community that we can work with a partner to increase. Maybe it's working within some disenfranchised educational systems within specific districts or even all the way down to specific schools that don't have access to the technology that we could, you know, triangulate something with a brand partner to bring that to fruition. But we can build the story first and then really kind of bring that, you know, into the fold. So I love that you're thinking that way. I think anybody in this industry that is living out purpose, you'd never feel like you're working a, a day in your life. So the more that you can really ideate on those passion type of pieces, like, you know, we should, we should definitely like talk in depth about how do we bring some of those things to fruition because not only from a brand perspective, but like back to that purpose, like why are, why are we here, you know, and how can we use our influence and voice in order to evoke change holistically to create a more inclusive space, which I'm also super passionate about. I love that if, you know, if there are people listening to this podcast especially, you know, talent listening to this podcast that want to engage with you or even, even brands that want to hear things more from your perspective than a, you know, a sales perspective, right? How do they get in touch with you? Like, who are you excited to hear from and how can people get in touch with you, you know, like specifically? Got it. I am an easy person to get a hold of because I am addicted to my email and I'm addicted to social media. I am addicted most to Twitter. My at is repinjt, R-E-P-P-I-N-J-T. If you want to get a hold of me, I suggest coming up with a you know, 250 character tweet that I can't ignore. <laughs> and chances are if if it's if it catches my attention, you'll receive a DM pretty pretty shortly after that. I am constantly refreshing. And I read often. So, do you get talent just like bombing your your Twitter all the time? You know, this is tough. It's it's a mix of both. I think a lot of top talent mm-hmm. understand that they're top talent, and a lot of it is a pitching contest. And it's us, and it's other orgs, and a lot of times we're coming to them. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because on the flip side, there there have been talent that we've signed that have reached out to us and that have inbound requests. And we look at them and we think to ourselves, oh my God, how have we not seen this person before? How have we missed this? This person is special. So I think you see both sides of it. Yes, my inbox is flooded with talent requests. It's actually most flooded with teams in random esports interested in version one signing them. We I do also receive the occasional talent streamer inbound message. I bet Ashley gets that more and more. So so much. But the dynamic between the inbound outbound sort of increase are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And you don't mind getting them. No, I love them. I anytime I see something like that. It excites me, especially when it's a younger creator mm-hmm. who may not be there yet to, and maybe developing. 
I just, it takes me back to when I was 14, 15 and was first getting into competing and realized that it was something I was really interested in and that I ultimately made a life out of. And I just sort of think to myself like, okay, you might be a 14 year old streamer. Chances are we we can't sign you right now, but Mm -hmm. in six years, you could be working in esports. And just the thought of where that person is now and where they can be is super fascinating to me. Yeah. And it's like gutsy. And I love, I love gutsy. I usually get a lot of inbound from esports tech startups that are looking for investment. That's what I get like flooded in. And I don't mind, like I'll, I'll look at anything and, you know, like kind of point them in the right direction to apply to maybe some accelerator programs that I'm involved in, but I never really mind looking at them because sometimes I've, I've really discovered some sweet little gems as well. When it comes to like your future in finance and investment, is that a world that you're still kind of interested in and and plugged in in terms of, you know, this is an evolving ecosystem that is always kind of changing. How involved on the finance side are you still, or are you just really only utilizing that thought leadership to inform kind of a growth strategy for the team? No, I, I try to advise wherever I'm needed, right? You can take the kid out of finance. I don't know if you can ever take the finance out of the kid. So I still wake up and read the, the journal every morning. I'm still very in touch with what's going on in the world and what's going on in the markets. I, Similar to you, I think as you look through pitch deck after pitch deck, there becomes a point where you're like numb to it. And then, and then like a few weeks go by and you're like, oh my God, I actually kind of missed this. And then you go back and you're like, oh, good deck. There's something intru- like fascinating about finally going through like 50 random cold decks and being like, holy shit, this one's actually really good. I want to talk to the founder and see if they made this themselves or if they went with someone else because like this deck's great. So that part of me, like that nerdiness in me will never leave. Um, always interested in what's new and upcoming in this space, what's new and upcoming in tech in general. I'm very mu- I would very much prefer to stay on uh, the cutting edge of what's next. Mm-hmm. So I think... Being able to see into what these early stage esports tech companies are doing allows me to sort of form an opinion on you know what's next. Do I think this will work? Yes, no, maybe. Is it a good idea? Could it be better? Um, if this person thought of this, does it make me think of something else? If anything, it just helps me ideate and brainstorm. Yeah. Maybe I'll see something cool from a deck and I'll be like, oh, this isn't that complicated. Maybe we could implement something similar this way. So that's a, a long-winded answer and a long-winded way of saying like, it's definitely still something I'm super interested in and love looking at. I love it. I love it. Let we gotta we gotta connect offline and really talk about. I mean, I think there's some things turning, at least in my mind, of of growth opportunities, you know, personally, ways we could continue to collaborate and move the needle forward. Cheers, you know, to the innovators and disruptors. I think you and I are both kind of in that in that category of people <laughs> who are always just thinking about what's next. And and yeah, for anybody listening that is really interested in connecting with version one as a whole and getting in touch with Jake. He is definitely a very talented person within the organization that really touches uh, so many layers of the 
of the organization and at the at the forefront of how it's going to grow and evolve. And I'm really lucky to be able to have this conversation with you and, and learn from you. And I really look forward to uh, seeing you in person and just a few days <laughs> soon. Yeah. And continuing to to expand upon these conversations. Thanks so much, Jake, for coming on the show and sharing your insights today. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Rebecca.